Welcome to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. On this show, we interview agritourism farmers, authors, leaders, and influencers who share their insights on growing and monetizing your agritourism business. Here's your host, Dustin Reed. Hi, everyone. This is Dustin. I'm from Curb and Turf. You're listening to The Recurring Plot, a show that talks about everything RVs and also how to make more recurring income for your property. I'm excited to be talking to our guest today, Nathan Gulliam. He's actually a serial marketer, but I'm going to let him introduce himself because he has tons of titles. He's done a lot within marketing and also within mostly in the realm of business. So I'll let him kind of take it over for his introduction. Sure. Thanks for having me on the show today, Dustin. Just as a quick introduction for myself, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've built and sold three digital ventures, the most recent being adoption.com, which is the world's most used adoption website. And in addition to building ventures for myself, I have consulted for numerous companies and and helped them to create and grow their, their ventures as well. Great. So for our guests, I know you probably don't like talking about yourself, but I feel like it's going to help our guests make a better connection. Just can you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into business in general? I mean, obviously that's probably with your educational background. Sure. So I, I was going to college and I was studying entrepreneurship. And one semester at the beginning of my junior year, back in the day when nobody had mobile phones, I took a call on our landline phone in college for my roommate. And the caller left a message for my roommate that basically said, there's this cool new class. It's called HTML. And you should sign up for this class. It was trying to get my roommate to sign up with them. And neither the caller nor my roommate ended up taking the class, but I did. And I, I signed up, took the class, took the second class, really loved it. And I ended up writing a business plan. I, I, my eyes were open to the power of the internet and how it was, was this tectonic shift that was changing the business landscape. It was, it was felt like the wild west where you could kind of pick your own homestead, you can pick your own place. And if you just stayed there, you could, you could own it. And so I picked a niche of adoption, won a couple of business plan competitions with that. And, and I started my first venture. You mentioned adoption specifically. Was there anything about adoption that made you choose that niche? I was a missionary for a couple of years in Brazil and fell in love with the street children. And, you know, I'd I'd give the change in my pocket to them to try to help a little bit. But as a volunteer missionary that wasn't getting paid anything for, for my work, you know, my, my money didn't go very far. And so I, I vowed to do something to make a lasting difference in their lives when I got back and hence adoption.com using the internet to help children through adoption. That's awesome. I wish more people would be that, philanthropic in their business adventures because then you know it just means so much more to them i would i would think because you're talking about tectonic shifts and i feel like that could be one of those things where it's kind of a passion that you do right i've heard you on your own podcast monetization nation talking a little bit about that and can you talk a little bit more about kind of those tectonic tectonic shifts within marketing or within business yeah sure so let me start off by explaining what a tectonic shift is 
So think of the world of geology. This is where, where we get the analogy from. And you have these tectonic plates that are constantly moving against each other and shifting. And, and where that movement happens, we can either have massive destruction like earthquakes or volcanic eruptions. There's massive volcano that's erupting in Hawaii today. And or on the other side, we could have massive growth like mountain formation. We live right off the Wasatch mountain front and, and those mountains were formed by two tectonic plates moving against each other. The same thing happens in business. The internet, for example, changed how, how businesses operated, right? You, businesses had been focused on the bricks and mortar business model. And with the internet, most of them had to shift to internet business models. And you look at companies like Sears, that didn't leverage that tectonic shift very well. And they file bankruptcy. And then you take other people like, like Amazon, right? And, and the guy that started Amazon, Jeff Bezos, he had no business beating Sears, right? Sears had all the money, all the resources, the vendor relationships, all the stores, all the employees, right? And, and he was just some little guy with, you know, teeny little team. But he leveraged the internet really well. He leveraged this tectonic shift. And now he's the, the wealthiest man in the world or the second wealthiest man in the world because he effectively leveraged that tectonic shift. And, and we could go back and give many examples of that. Think of taxis, right? Yellow cabs used to dominate. If you wanted to get a car transportation somewhere, you were in a city that wasn't your own, you'd call a yellow cab. And and it was it was frustrating. I remember many times I'd, I'd call a cab and I'd wait forever. Sometimes they wouldn't even show up. When they did show up, you you get to your destination and the screen says you owe one amount and they charge you a much larger amount. And uh, you never knew if they were taking the fastest route there or they were taking a longer route just so they could get more mileage on it. It, it was really a frustrating system. And then Uber came around and there was this tectonic shift that had happened from from phone calls you know, from landline phones to smartphones, to mobile apps, right? And Uber leveraged this tectonic shift super effectively, right? You could pull up your phone, you could order someone, you knew exactly how much it was going to cost to take that ride before you even even accepted the ride. You knew exactly the route they were going to take. You knew how, exactly how far they were away. It felt like Uber leveraged this tectonic shift to solve almost every single problem that people faced in the, in the taxi industry. And as a result, they dominated. And the traditional yellow cabs have, you know, their business has plummeted and it feels like everybody takes Ubers now. And, and so if we want to create a business model today, Instead of saying, you know, what should I do? What product should I sell? What service should I sell? I think we should start off by saying, what are the biggest tectonic shifts that are transforming my business landscape today? And then we should ask how we can leverage those tectonic shifts to disrupt our industry, right? And if we do that, we have a far greater chance of succeeding than if we just start off with a product or a service. So what if you already have a product or service and then you just need to adapt to that tectonic shift, whatever that may be. Uh, and I guess I have another question with regard to that, just because sometimes I feel like there have, could have been a tectonic shift, you know, whether it's technology or whatever. I remember when pagers came out, that was all the rave and then that kind of died out pretty quickly. I mean, there's certain things that obviously feel like could be a tectonic shift, but don't end up being that. It's just 
it kind of seems like a leapfrog to the next bigger thing, if that makes sense. So how can businesses or own business owners, any entrepreneurs recognize those shifts? Like yeah, that, talking about. that's a great question. So I think what you're asking is how do we know if it's a fad that's right. going to go away in the short term, or how do we know if it's a tectonic shift that's going to be here in the long run? Right. And I mean, even in the long run, tectonic shifts can change, right? The to- those tectonic plates never stay in exactly the same place, right? We have to figure out what is the shift happening today. And, and, and this is the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make when they figure out tectonic shifts. There was one company I was consulting for, and they kept telling me over and over again, we've been doing this 20 years. It's been working for us 20 years. We're going to keep doing it, right? And, and that is almost, in today's world, that's almost a guaranteed recipe for failure because the plates are moving. You found the shift, and you were successful with the shift 20 years ago, right? But by definition, that is probably not the same shift. That same shift is probably not still happening today. And so what made you successful 20, 20 years ago is not the same thing that's going to make you successful. And you have to realize I was successful 20 years ago because I was good at, and I found a tectonic shift, but what is the tectonic shift today? So by definition, it doesn't have to last forever for it to be a tectonic shift. We just have to quickly and effectively adapt to it. And you, you asked a question before and said, sometimes we already have a product or service, but we need to adapt to the tectonic shift. And that's exactly right. Sears could have adapted to the tectonic shift of the internet effectively. Yellow cabs could have adapted to the mobile devices effectively, right? You can do it. They usually don't, though. The large businesses that are successful in making money, they're afraid to adapt to something new because they're afraid it's going to disrupt their current revenue stream. And, and that reticence to change makes it very difficult for the large companies to effectively leverage their tectonic shifts. And so that's actually a competitive advantage for the small business. A lot of the small businesses will say, you know, well, I can't compete with that big company. They've got all the resources and they've got all the, the money. They've got all the people. They've got the big office. They've got the big brand name. But what the small entrepreneur has is the ability to quickly and effectively leverage the tectonic shift. And it's kind of like David and Goliath. David didn't pick up a sword and a shield and try to fight Goliath. He would have lost. If he would have fought the same way and Goliath had his huge sword and huge shield, David probably wouldn't have won that battle. He won because he came out at a different direction. He purposely didn't put on his armor. He kept his distance. Goliath's strength in the big sword and shield and strength and size was actually a weakness when David was far away from him. Goliath moved really slow and David could keep his distance and could sling the rocks at him. So as entrepreneurs, we can't go head on with our competitors and try to compete with them at their game. We've got to find the tectonic shift and, and do it differently. Yep. I agree because that's something I found working with Curb and Turf. Being a smaller business, we have to learn to pivot, even though we may have our mindset on something, but then, you know, market research or whatever tells us to do another thing. I'm sure there's lots of that within entrepreneurship or within business as well. Okay, we've talked about having those tectonic plates, but what are the, the what are those categories or what can you, can you classify the- some of the tectonic shifts, some of the biggest yes. tectonic shifts today? Yeah. 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 So, so there was a Christmas not too long ago where, where I caught COVID and I was quarantined upstairs in our guest room 
And being the marketing geek that I am, I was curious what the marketing trends were for the coming year. And so I, I went and found 50 different sources that were talking about predictions of marketing trends for the, for the coming year. And I put them in a spreadsheet and I correlated them and found the ones that were talked about the most. And, and I found that more than half of, of these trends, these marketing trends that were being talked about were all part of, of one mega trend or one massive tectonic shift. And, and as I've researched it more, I went and bought every single book I could find on this tectonic shift and, and researched and, and interviewed people on my show that talk about this shift. And, and as I've researched it more, I believe this is the biggest tectonic shift that's transforming the business landscape today. And, and the tectonic shift is a problem and a solution together. The problem is that people don't trust businesses anymore. I remember when I went and bought my first car, I, I actually went to a few dealerships and I asked the car salesman what the best car was, you know, with, within my certain category. And I can't fathom doing that today, right? Can you imagine buying an SUV and going and ask, asking the Toyota salesman what the best SUV is, right? They're, they're going to be biased. They're just going to tell you the good things about their right. SUVs and, and the bad things about everyone else's SUVs. And so right. as a result of this, this biased behavior, and, and for a lot of other reasons, people don't trust businesses. And when, if you want to buy an SUV, what are you, you going to do, Dustin? I'm going to research it. I'm going to research yeah. The heck out of it. You're going to find the data and the statistics, the the crash ratings. You're probably going to find reviews from real real people. You might hear read what influencers have to say. You might get referrals from friends, right? Every single one of those things we talked about are examples of credibility. Instead of trusting the business who is not credible, who is perceived as biased, you now turn to sources of credibility. And so I, I call it credibility marketing. And I'm, I'm working on a book on this. We're about two-thirds of the way done. So credibility marketing is the answer to people not trusting businesses. I, I saw a study recently that 90, 93%, 94% of people don't trust ads. And 77% of people say that they don't trust anything a business says about themselves. Right? So... Really, it's not even worth trying to tell people the good things about us, trying to market from our voice. That used to be the way people do, did businesses, right? They, they would create a product or service, they would go buy a bunch of ads, and they would use those ads to tell the world how awesome they are. And, and that business model does not work very well anymore. And the solution to that, the tectonic shift, is credibility marketing. It's leveraging credible sources, working through influencers, working through our customers to get referrals, using testimonials and video storytelling, getting our message out there through much more credible voices than our own. So along with that, how do you make yourself credible? Is it just by leaning on those that have that credibility and who governs someone credible? Yeah. That, that's a really, that's a really interesting point. And, and I guess the first point is whether we are credible or not is not what matters. What matters is whether we're perceived as credible, right? Because <laughs> you could be credible, but if nobody knows you're credible, 
right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, they don't know us and you're still not going to be credible. I think it kind of ties into what the credit bureaus used to be, right? It used to be that you go to a marketplace and someone would vouch for you or you could trust this person because of X, Y, Z, or someone would almost vouch for you in a way. That's kind of how I'm picturing it, but maybe that's antiquated. No, the credit bureaus are a great example of credibility marketing, right? It, they look at whether you've paid your bills on time. They look at, you know, how much money you've borrowed. Did you pay it back? And based upon how you've responsibly dealt or irresponsibly dealt with your credit, they give you a score and and then people can trust that score because it's vouching for your credibility. Yeah, you, that's a great example. So so in in the world of of credibility today, we went out and after we discovered this concept of credibility marketing, this tectonic shift, I went out and bought every single book I could find on the topic, right? You know, trust based marketing, right? You know, authority marketing, right? All of these different kinds of books, and there's a lot of books related to that, and went and gathered all the articles we could find on it, and and we actually developed a framework a framework of 11 steps that, that we can take to establish our credibility and grow our credibility. And we, we did a survey. We surveyed hundreds of people and they told us which ones really mattered and which ones didn't matter. And so in at the beginning of this survey, we asked people how likely are they to trust what a business says about themselves. And 77% of people said that they were not likely to trust what a business said about themselves. And then we showed them this credibility marketing framework that we developed. And we said, if a business follows these steps, how likely would you be to, would you be likely to trust the business? And 96% of people said that they would be likely to trust a business who followed this credibility marketing framework. So there, there is a solution. Don't despair. It's not like there's this problem that's impossible to solve. You've just got to know the steps and, and follow those steps. Would you mind sharing a couple of those, just a couple of those steps or yeah. what you found from the, your research? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to actually be credible. That's the first step. So if I, credibility marketing isn't about faking it. It isn't about pretending to be something that you're not and telling the world you're credible when really you treat people poorly and and you don't do what you say you're going to do, right? Right. It, if you try to do credibility marketing and you are not credible, it, it's even worse because they will they will see it in today's digital world and they will know it and they will use things like reviews to tell the world that you've set an expectation of being credible and you you failed in that expectation. You did not meet it. So so that's number one is you got to be credible. You got to say what you're going to do. Got to provide a great experience. You got to exceed expectations. You got to provide an amazing customer experience, great products and services. Be credible. Number two is a concept that I call passion marketing. What many businesses do is they start off by building a product or a service, and then they say, How do I market this product or service? Passion marketing flips that on its head. And you start passion marketing by going to your, you find your ideal customers, you go to your ideal customers and you, you find out what drives their lives, what they're most passionate about. And then you build your product or your service completely around those level 10 passions that you find in your passion marketing. And when you do that, you're much more likely to be successful than just trying to figure out how to market a product or service. The reason for that is 
I remember when I was a kid, we had four TV stations and a black and white TV. And I'm not even that old. <laughs> and I know we didn't, we didn't have cable. And I, I remember when we got a fifth station, channel 45 in, in the Phoenix area. And it was so cool because we had a whole nother choice of a show to watch. Right. And, and today, you know, there's, there are so many, you know, for, for every hour I have available, there's a thousand good things I could watch on, t on TV or movies or podcasts or, you know, there's a thousand good things I could do with that hour. It used to be mm -hmm. when I was a kid, you know, I'd save up some money if I want to buy something and I'd go to Fiesta Mall in Mesa, Arizona, and I'd walk around the mall and try to find something to buy with my money. And, and if I wanted to buy a t-shirt, I was limited to the one or two shops that, that really sold t-shirts there. And, and that's not how people buy things anymore, right? You go online, Amazon has 330 million products and that's just on one website. And then you find the right website and you go to Google shopping and it tells you every place that sells that product and tells you the best price for it. With every hour and with every dollar that our customers have, they have more choices to do with that one hour, that one dollar than they could ever do in a lifetime. And, and because of that, like it used to be, you could just make a good product or service and try to sell it to people. But because they have so many choices of what to do with their limited time or limited money, being good is no longer good enough. You've got to figure out how to be a level 10 passion. And that's what passion marketing is all about. And that's the second step. Of, of credibility marketing. Another step in there I call, nobody else uses this term, so people probably laugh at me, but I've, I kind of coined this term customer influencers. And so how do you turn your customers into influencers? So what works? Reviews work, referrals work, testimonial videos work, right? Those are all examples of turning customers into influencers, right? And so that's a very successful strategy is, is figuring out how do you take your happy customers, and how do you leverage them, film videos of them, get them to write reviews for you, get them to refer you to your friends. You know, another example of, of credibility marketing. Yeah. So what are some companies that you feel do well at that, at making credibility, or I guess more of that passion marketing or credibility marketing? Um, yeah. So there's, there's different companies that do a good job of it in different ways. For example, I've seen uh, sometimes companies do a good job of it in their advertising. Not too long ago, I saw a, a mattress delivery truck. And on the side of the mattress delivery truck, it said, the most highly rated and reviewed mattress company in America, right? And if that, if that statement is really true, if they really are the most highly rated and reviewed mattress company in America, like you automatically are going to trust their mattresses, right? That, right? that is automatic credibility. So that's a, that's a great example of someone that did it in their advertising. An another example would be maybe Kylie Jenner, right? Kylie Jenner was a nobody, right? She, she was from a, a famous family, but she, she really did not have credibility herself. So what did she do? She, she started building her own platform. She started building a following and a reach of people who knew her and liked her and trust her, trusted her. And then what did she do? She, she released Kylie Cosmetics and became a billionaire because she... So that's one of the other strategies that we haven't talked about yet is, is platform marketing, right? You've got to build your own platform. Instead of just creating a product and trying to sell the product through ads, build a platform. Build a group of followers that know you, like you, and trust you 
where you control the relationships. You're, you're not just dependent on someone else's platform like Facebook or Instagram, but you get their email address, you get the relationship with them, you get it where they know you and trust you, and then you build a product and a set product or service that you sell to that group of people. And, and by having your own platform, often it's like through a show, you know, having videos or, or podcasts or blogs or social of some type. As you create that show on your own platform, that's, that's one of the other strategies to, to do credibility marketing. Kind of that's what, what I'm doing too, right? Yeah. So it's something we're trying to, you know, as Curb and Turf grows, we're hoping to get more people to recognize the importance of our the problem in our industry, which is how, not enough places for RVers to go. So we're just trying to create an awareness, right? It's part of, I think part of marketing can be educational as well. So, cause you mentioned building your own platform, doesn't that go really hand in hand with credibility marketing? Like you were saying before, just because you can't really build a platform unless you're credible. Yep. So I would think that credibility would have to come first and then the platform, or is there a case where there's, you have a platform that's built and it's, and eventually you gain that credibility or I mean, I guess. I'm seeing this kind of more of a linear kind of approach, if that makes sense. A chicken sense. and the egg kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. So you're, let me restate, your, your concern is maybe you need to have credibility before you have a show, before yeah. you build your platform. Right. Or you could, or you could see it the other way of saying, I need to have a platform before I can be credible, right? right. Uh, so having a show and publishing regularly on your show Owning, that's one of the best ways to own your own platform, right? And this concept of platform marketing and publishing through your platform, those are actually two of the 11 elements of the credibility marketing framework. And I mean, you look at people like Elon Musk, right? He, he can say something about, about his Tesla company and, and everybody hears it and it makes news because he, he's credible. He has that reach and that following, but how, how many people can tell us the name of the CEO of Ford, right? I can't tell you. Can you tell me the name? No. And and can but, you tell me the last thing that he posted or said or last press also, release he wanted people to hear? It could be yeah. a double-edged sword though, right? Just because yeah. with him taking over t Twitter, now we have <laughs> other platforms, you know, where, and I don't want to get into super political or whatever. I'm not trying to politicize anything. I'm just politicize anything. I'm just trying to state what it is just because he's wants a more abundant platform for Twitter, but now we have a backlash and it, it wasn't like that before. Right. I know yeah. the CEO, like to your point, I didn't know that I don't know the CEO previous to him. You know, that was a Twitter of Twitter. I don't, I don't. That's right. So he's embraced this strategy. He, Elon Musk completely understands the strategy of platform marketing. He, he built Tesla with almost zero marketing. They have almost no marketing budget and they get, they, they've built this platform, they've got this reach and he's become the second wealthiest man in the world with almost no marketing because he has embraced platform marketing. Right. And because, because this concept of platform marketing has worked so well for him, he, he went and bought one of the best platforms out there. He bought right. Twitter. And now he's leveraging that and got even more credible. He's not just someone on Twitter with a bunch of following. He is now 
the owner of Twitter. He, <laughs> he, he supercharged this business strategy. And I know people say, well, I don't agree with him or I don't agree with this. And honestly, that doesn't matter. One, one of the best ways to build a following and, and to have a voice and, and, and really leverage a platform is to say things that are controversial. If you always say the thing that everybody wants to hear, it's not news. It doesn't make you know CNN or Fox News, right? For you, you have to let the banned people back on Twitter, right? Because that makes news, right? Whether or not it's the right thing to do, it's it's how you leverage that strategy. You don't do the normal thing everyone's expecting, but you you kind of polarize a little bit and and take a stand. Yeah, I definitely think he takes a stand. And I think he's, <laughs> I think Elon, in all honesty, is, I don't want to state it this way, but it seems like he was a gambler. He gambled a lot on SpaceX, right? He was down to like one of the last, like, I think he had like three goes at his launches. And then he was going to, it was going to literally bankrupt him. I think it almost did. Yeah, he's taken a lot of risk. Right, he's taken a lot of risk. He's uh, was one one of the first ones with PayPal, right? I believe, and then that's how he got. He basically was able to bank bankroll some like SpaceX with that or whatever. And Tesla. He's yep. fa- he's very fascinating, and I, I love his story. But again, not everyone's an Elon Musk, but everyone can possibly become an Elon Musk or not into that. And we're not even talking to that grand level, right? We're talking about you know owning your space. And I think that's probably right. And if you look at the moves that he made, that has made him his money, right? Mm -hmm. Every single one of those was leveraging a tectonic shift, right? Going back to where we started this conversation, he did electronic payments for, you know, person to person, peer electronic payments, right? And and they won that space with PayPal and he sold and exited. And, And then they did electronic cars, another tectonic shift, right? And then they did this space exploration as NASA was getting out of space and announced they're getting out of space and they were going to be investing in private companies. He jumped on that tectonic shift, right? He's done a very good job at seeing the tectonic shifts that are transforming the landscape and leveraging those. And so that's probably the best thing you can learn from Elon Musk is before you try to create a product or service, or if you're trying to market that product or service, you know, before you develop your strategy, clearly identify what are the biggest tectonic shifts today and figure out how you're going to leverage those. Yeah. That's, it's interesting how quickly it moves, especially now. I think with technology and everything that we have nowadays, I think those tectonic shifts are going to occur more frequently than they used to, right? That's because, right. You know, so it's going to be even harder to, not necessarily harder, but you have to recognize those a lot quicker just because those are going to be changing. It's going to come in waves and it's not only going to come in waves, it's going to build on top of each other, right? That's right. Until it develops into something whatever the future holds, whatever that is, right? That's right. Yes, they are definitely happening with much greater frequency. And the good news of from that is that means there's greater opportunity. There's mm-hmm. many more tectonic shifts we can leverage. Go find your tectonic shift and leverage it. It's kind of like riding a wave into shore, right? If you're out there and you have your surfboard and, and you try to swim into shore, that takes a lot of effort. But if you can just get up on that wave... Right, that it's going to go to shore whether or not you're on it. And if you can just get up on the wave, it's going to take you to shore with a fraction of the effort, fraction of the time. Same thing with the tectonic shift. What's been the common thread, would you say, within companies that you've helped build 
or is there even a blueprint of growing any business or is it just very unique depending on the business you're growing? Yeah, that that's that's a great question. So an, another way to ask that question would be, what is working today? Like what is the business model that is working the best today? And, and if I had answered that question, I would say it's it's building a show. It's building a following of people that know you, like you, and trust you in your niche, right? Don't try to go after everybody. Pick a small niche, own that niche, and do a really good job with video and podcast and blog and social and a newsletter, right? And get people to follow you, get their email addresses, and develop relationships with those people. And then create a product or service you own related to that niche that you, especially something that has a recurring revenue stream, and then sell it to that following. I think that is the best business model on the planet today. And that's what you guys are doing, right? You, you guys have this, this curb and turf site where, where you help connect the RVers and the landowners. And so you've created the show for landowners, right? Where you're teaching them how to, how to make more money from their properties. So you're doing exactly that business model. And it's not a flash in the pan, get rich quick, you know, make a million dollars overnight type of business model. It may take you a year or, or two years to build a really good following. But the reality is once you do, you can sell. I mean, once you, they know you, like you, trust you, and are following you, you know, you, it's almost a guaranteed success that you can, you can sell products and services in that niche to that audience. I have a friend of mine that I was talking to yesterday, and he's an influencer. I, I won't even say what niche he's in, but he, he did a product review. He doesn't even have that big of a following, maybe in the tens of thousands, right? Maybe 20,000, maybe. He republished a video. It was, it, was, it was a video analyzing water filters. He was just comparing different water filters and made a recommendation of the best water filter. He made $200,000 in one month republishing a five-year-old video to his audience. Because the people know him, like him, and trust him, and they wanted to know what was best. There's an insane amount of money you can make once you have that trust, right? He did credibility marketing, right? They trust him, and he doesn't have to sell to people anymore. He's prescribing to people, right? They trust him, and right. he just tells them what they should buy. That is the best well, business model on the planet. Yep. He's also offering his customers something, right? He's reviewing the filters, so they're already invested in him, so they've already invested time in him so they're already interested in what he is reviewing i'm presuming yep. and, and that it's beneficial for both i think that's a lot of cases for a lot of customers is especially when i get emails i tend to like if it's not offering me something then i will quickly <laughs> i'll quickly block it that's kind of the power of, of email in a way it's because you can uh unsubscribe or whatever, because that's kind of your dollar in essence. You have your purchasing power, but you also have your power to, to view or whatever it is. There's, there's customers that are going to support you if, depending on what you're offering is what I'm trying to get at. You know, if you're yeah, offering some kind of benefit, then they're going to, they're going to be more apt to listen. That's exactly right. And, and what you just mentioned here is one of the other elements of credibility marketing. And, and this is the concept of providing value first. So think about back when, when you were dating, right? If you went to a social gathering of some type and you met a new girl there and you know, you like her, she's pretty and you ask her to marry you, right? You know, what's your chance of her saying yes? No, nothing. You, 
she doesn't know you. She doesn't like you. She doesn't trust you yet. Right. So what do you do? You get to know her. You have a conversation. You provide value. She has fun with you. She laughs. You know, maybe then you escalate it and go to the next step and you invite her on a date and you take her out and you give her some dinner and you, you know, spend more time with her and she has more fun with you. And you ask her, you know, you, you, you provide value first and then maybe six months into providing value or a year longer into providing value, then you can start talking about marriage, right? And and the same thing is true in marketing. So many people, like the biggest mistake salespeople make is they they get an email address or they get a phone number and they immediately go in for the sell, right? Before they've provided any value. And you have no credibility, zero credibility in that situation. It's not even worth trying to sell it to that person. So before you try to sell, you've got to go provide value. And that's something uh, I've I've learned. I used to do a lot of the advertising for for Albertsons. I used to work for their net corporate, and so I used to do all their signs and everything else. And I've kind of realized how quickly that it was interesting, just because with and I'm not trying. This is I'm sure this is not how they are now. I hope not. They would try to put all their messaging on one sign, and this would drive me up the wall, just because <laughs> I feel like. Part, part of good marketing for me is storytelling as well, right? Yep. Because as you're going through the store, you could say you could say something on outside, you know, post or whatever, whatever it is, something is inside and then you could start leading the customers on a journey, whatever that is. I feel like Albertsons did an injustice where they try to put everything all in one sign and usually you have like two or three seconds at most that people are going to be reading the sign. So they're not going to be reading everything either. You can almost scare customers away with an overload of information as well. Yeah, um, definitely. So so my 16-year-old job was working at Albertsons, pushing carts in Tempe, Arizona. So <laughs> we share a common Albertsons pedigree. Oh, good. <laughs> or bad. I don't know. <laughs> So, so an interesting point on that though, is how often, like I know those Albertson signs and how, how often are those signs, they have a price and they're trying to compete on price, right? It's, it says bananas, 59 cents. Well, I guess nowadays it probably says 89 cents, but you, you, you have a product and you have a price and how much money they're going to save. Right. And, right. and okay, that kind of works, but why don't you, why don't we market to something that gives that product credibility and not just trying to to race to the bottom of the price barrel, right? You know, if, if we're going to do bananas, right, why don't we do a sign that says, you know, get more potassium in your diet so you can, you know, prevent cramps and, you know, whatever. Tell people the, the amazing benefits they're going to get from a product instead of just always trying to compete on price. Yep. I agree. Uh, there's, there's lots of stuff that I've learned because it's, even through that, I've learned there's, you know, you have to try to get multiple yeses to kind of get the big yes, kind of like you were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. If you're you know, in a courtship, especially like you're, let's go back to your example. You're not going to, you want to ask out a, a lady or whoever, your companion, whatever that may be. And you're working on these small yeses to get the big yes. If you're going to pop the that's question, right. right? So Great that's example. A similar, similar situation. So we've talked about you know, building a platform, building a show is probably one of the best ways for you to do that. Are there tools out there that, that you've seen that can help our customers or anyone listening that be able to do that? 
Yeah, that great question. So I started my show, Russell Brunson, who I think is the best digital marketer of our generation. Russell had made a promise to marketers, a bunch of marketers, and he said, if you publish every day for a year, you'll be financially free. And so I decided to take him up on that promise. And I started my show. It was called Monetization Nation. I'm about to change the name of that to, to call it Credibility Marketing. And um, Russell Brunson was, or I was following this advice from Russell Brunson, doing my show, publishing video, blog, podcast, social, every day. And it was a lot of work. Lot. It was kicking my yeah. kicking my butt. And, and I realized that for me to do this, I needed at least... 25 different technologies, right? I needed a technology to record. I needed a technology to live stream. I needed a technology to schedule my interviews. I needed a technology to syndicate to social. I needed a technology to syndicate to podcasts, right? There were all these different things I had to pay for. And I was paying almost $2,000 a month for all of these technologies. It was so expensive. And then a lot of those technologies, they didn't even integrate together. And a lot of them weren't made for running a show. Like we used Libsyn to manage our episode flow, but that was made for like software project management. That wasn't made for episode management. It was missing a lot of the things that I needed. And I just, I was talking to my team one day and I just said, someone needs to create this all-in-one suite that can do all of these different things in, in one technology platform, right? Where you can take dozens of different technologies and make them integrate really well together and give them all the features you need for show and make it available for a, a reasonable price. And I, I finally had my aha moment and I realized, okay, I'm going to be that somebody. I'm going to build that platform. So almost two years ago, I hired a development team and we started building it. And we now have about 16 developers and we've been building a product called Show Platform. We've rolled out close to a dozen beta customers on it. And we're scheduled for March 13th to release to the public. And there'll be more than 30 different modules, everything from recording your show to editing your show, transcribing it, monetizing your show, growing your show, the SEO, all of those different pieces you need, even pieces that nobody else in the industry has. We're just going really deep into this one little niche of creating, growing, and monetizing an online show. So if, if you guys are interested in, if your audience is interested in learning more, they can visit showplatform.com. So we utilize show platform as well with all our shows that we've been doing. And I could attest that it's something you should be looking into just because not only is it going to be saving you money, like Nathan has been saying, he spent nearly $2,000 or more than $2,000 just for, for platforming a lot of his stuff or. And know, that was per month. That's for month. Yeah. And so just, just that, that value alone is going to be saving you not only money, but time as well as because all these are going to be integrated right. into one, one platform, which is huge. And, and working with, working with other developers, like a test, you know, it's a lot to line up and to make sure it works. So well, that's awesome. Thanks for being, thanks for being a beta tester and thanks for the plug. I appreciate it. No, we appreciate it. And we appreciate everything that you've done for us so far. And we look forward to the future. And we hope that everyone listening to this, that you found value in what Nathan has been talking about, just because these are things that could be applied to agritourism when we're talking about passion marketing and building your platform. A good way to increase your platform is just by listing on Curb and Turf. So I invite you to go to curbandturf.com slash host. 
and then you could set up your listing and then that way you'll have more people come into your property. So so yeah. what I love about Curb and Turf, right? You have someone that has property that's not making enough money. They're not making any money or they're not making enough money on it. Maybe they have a farm and kind of struggling to make ends meet or maybe they have property they're not making anything off of. I love Curb and Turf because it provides number one, a brand new stream of income, right? Kind of like Airbnb did where it helps someone who had a home. They weren't using all the rooms. They could, they could monetize that. This lets landowners monetize it in the same way. And then in addition to that, if you already have something that makes money that you're trying to bring people to, let's say you have a, you know, pick your own strawberry farm or something like that, or you, you have a, a, a corn maze, right? When you do curb and turf, you're not just making the new stream of income, but you're bringing more people to your property to, to generate more money from your existing streams of income. So it's a, it's a, a double whammy that's even better than a, an Airbnb business model. Yeah, I agree. And you're not going to have the risks. So I do appreciate that. It's something that's super important to us is that we want, especially property owners to, to utilize that resource. Cause there's some people that are not even using that resource. And if you are using that, good for you, but there's other ways you could do that. And then, improve upon that. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is pivoting and, and figuring out those tectonic shifts. So I think that's super important, especially, you know, in today's society. So, well, thanks for having me on the show today. I appreciate it, Nathan. I hope you have a great day and thanks for, for everything. And thank you everyone for listening. And, and I can't wait to talk to you and see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. Curb and Turf works like Airbnb, but we help RVers to find land where they can park when they're traveling. Make more money from your land. Please visit CurbandTurf.com to list your property.